Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This is the word of the Lord. All right, with the passage that long, I had to get a family member. Nobody else would do it. <laughs> Thanks for reading that, Rachel. Well, good morning, everybody. I heard a quote this week that I think perfectly encapsulates the message of this parable. In the world, in the kingdom of the world, people who are successful know how to get a hearing. But in the kingdom, people who are successful know how to hear. Think about how interesting it is. Jesus does this over and over again in the Gospels. He doesn't give you the advice that you think you should get based on what he's teaching. So when he says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, we would expect him to say something like, so get out there and get after it. But that's not what he says. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. 
When he says, do not be angry, do not harbor hatred in your heart against other people, you might think of him to say, so when the opportunity arises and you're really on edge, count to three and make sure you don't lose your cool. But instead he says, when you're in the position where you need to be forgiven, that's where you'll learn not to be angry. Here he says, there's a sower that goes out and sows the seed into all these soils. And instead of saying, so make sure that you are really a good soil, he says something slightly different. Be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear. You want to bear fruit in your life? Do you want to be a fruitful Christian? It's not an amount of effort plus raw talent plus opportunity equals fruitfulness. It's be careful how you hear. Be careful how you receive what you've been taught. Be careful the way that your disposition towards God and His Word is calibrated because that's the thing that's going to make all the difference. So Jesus in chapter 13 has been, in Matthew, He's been building His kingdom. And we took a short break for Easter and for Palm Sunday, but we've been tracking through the first few chapters of Matthew. And what we've seen is this gospel, Matthew, is a discipleship manual. In fact, that's the way they used it in the early church was if you had a new convert and you wanted to teach them, they knew nothing about Jesus, they knew nothing about what it is to follow him, just take them through Matthew. Matthew writes this gospel as a manual for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, how to learn from him, how to imitate him, how to follow him. And as we crest the hill of Matthew 13 for the rest of the gospel, how to take part with him in his mission. See, the kingdom of God is the subject of Matthew 13 through 18. And the thing you have to know is the kingdom of God is not a passive kingdom. It is not something that is out there happening and we are cheering it on. The kingdom of God is something that we are actively participating in. And so Jesus opens this, this is a section of seven parables about the kingdom. We'll be in it this week and next week. And he opens it by letting us know that you are going to take an active role in the kingdom. The goal of kingdom work is that you, specifically, this is not a general you, you, specifically as a Christian, would begin to bear fruit. As you're going to see later in this parable, there actually isn't such a thing as an unfruitful Christian. It is an oxymoron in the text to have a Christian whose life there is no sign, no difference, no fruit, that they are a follower of Christ. So this morning, I want you to know that the invitation of this parable is to consider the fruit that God wants to bring about in your life. It's, it's not a matter of whether or not you have something to bring to Him. It's a matter of what He wants to bring into your life and what He wants to put out of your life in fruitfulness. So Jesus begins these parables, and the parable of the sower is really unique because it's the only parable that we get where Jesus gives a full-scale explanation for us. And that's why you have this long passage here, is not only is Jesus explaining why he teaches in parables, he's also giving us an answer key to this particular parable, which is nice in a string of seven parables to get one answer key before you get to the rest of them. It's like in a textbook where it says, turn to the end for the solutions, and they do all the easy ones in the back, and then none of the hard ones. That's Jesus gives us this very straightforward, simple parable so that we can learn how to apply all the rest of them. Now, this parable is included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a paradigm parable for Jesus. And Mark says, 
if you, Jesus says to the people, do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand any of the parables? This is, we're going to parable school this morning. This is parables 101. And Jesus is going to teach us how to hear the word of God in a way that bears fruit in our lives. So what is a parable? Simply put, there's no reason to improve on this catchy definition. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. It's not an allegory. So an allegory is something where all the details have a corresponding meaning. So some of our cultural allegories would be like the Wizard of Oz. Everybody has the characters lined out, and it was referring to this or that, or the Lord of the Rings, or uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You're finding all of the things that line up. That's, that's not what parables are. Parables are, are much simpler than that. They have one main meaning. And Jesus is very clear. This, this parable has one major meaning. I want to point out, before we even get into this parable, what a master teacher Jesus is. This is an insight into why he teaches in parables. If you've ever taught in school or in a class or in a small group, you realize that teaching to a group of people is really difficult. And and in school literature, they talk about this all the time. Who should you teach to? Should you teach to the top? Should you teach to the bottom? Should you teach to the middle? Should you teach to the test? Should you teach to certain character goals? These are live discussions. And what Jesus does is by telling these parables, he actually conceives of a way to teach to everyone. Because a parable actually has embedded in it the meaning that you are actually going to encounter if you wrestle with this parable. So the disciples say, why are you teaching in these veiled, mysterious stories? And Jesus says something that should be really arresting for us so that those who see will see more clearly and those who don't see won't see now isn't that funny if you were going to give a public address wouldn't you just want everyone to see (laughs) Wouldn't you want everybody to be clear on what you were saying jesus actually says the purpose of parables is to reveal to those who see with spiritual eyes but to conceal from those who don't see with spiritual eyes The disciples are wondering, why would you do this? Well, the parables are like, they're almost like a speed bump in the road where no matter what you do, you can't go full speed over these. The people who see, the people who understand the parables are the ones who think about them, meditate on them, let the word sink deep into their heart, turn it over in your head, let the little time bombs of the parables go off weeks from now, months from now, millennia from now. Think about how many of these are still embedded in our culture among people who are not believers. Being a good Samaritan, being a prodigal son, finding a treasure in the field, finding a pearl of great price. Jesus teaches in a way that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you'll see something. And the more you take this seriously, the better you hear, the more you engage with it, the more you will see. So the first lesson in hearing is actually embedded in the parables themselves. Do you want to understand? Do you want to be good soil? Begin by listening. Begin by treasuring. Begin by thinking. So Jesus tells this parable of the sower, which I think maybe would be better named the parable of the soils. Because in this parable, there are four soils that are four ways to hear the Word of God. The first one is not hearing at all. So the first one is, 
you don't hear. So, and this is a common way to hear. The sower goes out and he casts his seed out on indiscriminately onto the landscape. And as he sowed, he says, some of this seed fell along a path and, and the birds came and devoured it. In the explanation of the parable, Jesus says, this, this seed that sowed along the path, this is when anyone hears the word and does not understand it. That seed is snatched up. It never takes root. It never bears fruit. Nothing happens. These ways of hearing are also reflections of the heart. This is a person who hears with a hard heart. This is a person who, they maybe hear it, but they don't ever think about it. They don't ever understand it. And the amazing thing is, everybody starts out in life in this spot. Everybody in life starts out as the hard-hearted, hard soil of the parable of the sower. But what's interesting is the sower goes out and spreads this seed, and Jesus says, this is the word of God that goes out. And God is sowing seed out into the world, and he's giving everyone an opportunity to hear it, but not everybody does hear it. Not everybody internalizes it. And you have to step back for a moment and think about this. Isn't it interesting that we serve a talkative God? a communicative God. In fact, one of the first things we find out about God in the Bible is that he likes to talk. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? He spoke. He said, let there be light. At that point, it was just the Trinity. It was just them, and he was speaking into existence. We have the Word of God. This isn't just the story of God. It's not just the events of God. We believe that God actually spoke, and we have recorded it through human authors writing it down so that we can hear the voice of God through the Bible. We believe that God's words are creative and powerful and regenerative. We serve a God who, like the sower, is going out, and all day, every day, the Psalms say, He is speaking things out into the world. But some people don't hear. And Jesus says, some people have hard hearts. It's like when you say something, it's like they never heard it. It's like I saw a line on a meme. No one in the world is more surprised than a husband hearing their wife's plans for the second time. And I have found this to be true. There are moments, you, we talked about that, you told me that. Because you hear it, but it doesn't register. And until the moment you come alive in Christ, that's you. You've heard it maybe a million times, but one time, it's different. If your story is like mine, I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the gospel from the time I was born, but it didn't resonate. I didn't understand it. It didn't break through my heart until I was in high school. And it's an encouragement for us that rocky soil, soil on the path, actually can become fertile soil. It can become a seedbed that rises up and produces a hundredfold fruit. And so for us, we, we know that God doesn't stop speaking, and, and neither should we. Jesus had to be thinking of the Pharisees here. Just a chapter earlier in Matthew, he has this encounter with the Pharisees where the Pharisees have been asking him, uh, and they've been challenging him on how he's doing these miracles. Because he keeps doing these miracles on the Sabbath, and it was, it was not okay in the Pharisees' mind to do a miracle on the Sabbath. And so they're really stuck. They say, on the one hand, he's doing wonderful things that only God could do, but on the other hand, he's, he's breaking our interpretation of God's law. So who is he doing these works through? And it builds up to this point where the Pharisees have a little convention among themselves, and they decide, okay, we're, we're going to put out a statement here on where the source of the miracles are, and Jesus challenges them on that. 
Here's what they come up with. He, he says, he, he asks them, and all the people were amazed at his miracles. And they said, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? And the Pharisees said it. They, they decided to trot out their line. It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Okay? This is where they've decided officially Jesus must be doing this by the power of Satan. He must be under the power of a demon. Jesus has a great response to this. When he hears them say this, he quotes Abraham Lincoln, and he says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. Okay, some people, come on. I mean, come on. It took a, took a minute, but he says, every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. How could you possibly be doing these things by the will of Satan? What he's pointing out is you have such a hard heart. You refuse to hear so much that it leads you to this conclusion that maybe he's casting out demons by the prince of demons. The amazing thing is, in this story, you get closer to what God designed you for as you go. So we move from the path, not hearing at all, to a different group. And this group, Jesus said, this is, this is like a group of people and when the seed goes out, it falls on the rocky ground where they don't have much soil at all. And immediately, it springs up, but since they have no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they were withered away. This is a group that hears what they want to hear. This is a group that hears, but the moment it comes in, it morphs into something that they were already thinking and wanting and desiring. This is too common. Most of us have been in a position like this where you really don't hear what God intends. You hear something about what God is saying that corresponds with what you intend. And so your faith at this point is built on what you already wanted with God as an add-on. This is the high that comes when people hear the gospel for the first time, whether it's a camp high or somebody that's in a difficult position and all of a sudden they hear the good news and they take it and they apply it with what they already wanted. When I was doing college and young adult ministry, you see this all the time. There is nobody who is more on fire for God than single guys in their 20s who are going to church. Because when you go to church in your 20s and you're looking for a girl who's also going to church, you need to have that spiritual high going as good as you can. And then they find somebody. And you're excited with them, and they're doing great. They're doing Bible study every day, and they're wanting to lead spiritually. And after they've been in a relationship for like a week, you never see them again. <laughs> they're done. They got what they came for. They're done. And then you see them again, like eight months later. And you're like, how's it going? Oh, not that good. We broke up. <laughs> okay, so now your faith is important to you again. You're back. And they go through these cycles, and it's because what they really want is ulterior to what God is saying to them but they can channel it for that purpose. Now, why do I think that's what's going on in this text? Well, what, what it says in the explanation of this part of the soil is really interesting. If you look over at verse 21, the, the, the seed that goes out on the rocky ground is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, they don't have any root. It never goes down into the deep levels of who they are. It never transforms them. It never becomes their core values. It never gets into their worldview. But they don't have any root in and of themselves. They endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, when they really have to put their faith in, on the line, in their life on the line, it immediately, they immediately fall away. What's interesting here, though, is this 
this phrase, fall away, there's a, there's a little bit deeper thing. This is not just the high that all of a sudden is extinguished when persecution comes. This word for fall away is the word scandalize in English. It's actually a cognate word. It's the verb scandalazo. It means to stumble over something, to be scandalized, to be embarrassed by something, to be exposed to people that you really want respect from. And so the deeper part of this is not just they were, they were short-sighted and they were happy for a while. It was they didn't realize that their faith would actually change things in their life. What happens with this group is they add on what God is saying to their ordinary, regular life, and as they go, they realize their faith is going to cost them something. It's a scandal to them. They maybe were doing it so that they would be respected, and then they were disrespected because of their faith, and they thought, I've gotten a raw deal here with God. Disillusionment is included here. People who think that the purpose of what God is doing in your life is to make you happier and healthier and better in life, then all of a sudden you begin to suffer and you think, what is God doing in my life? See, the biggest danger for this second group is taking God at promises that he never promised. Expecting God to fulfill things that he actually never said that he would do. See, the promise of the gospel is not immediately happiness and health or wealth or success. The purpose of the gospel is to free you from your sins so that you can have a relationship with God again. And no amount of suffering, no amount of social pressure, no, no amount of endurance for the gospel can take the centerpiece away, which is you get God. Now with God comes other things, and those are wonderful blessings, but if you focus on the blessings and not God, you will fall into this second group. When, when things get hard, when you get what you didn't expect, when you begin to suffer, you'll think, well, this isn't what I signed up for. And that faith never develops roots. Group number three is a little bit better than group number two. They hear it, they actually start to grow, but they are divided. Right? This is the divided heart. This is the person who hears, but they have so many voices. If you look down, this is when the, <clears throat> the seed falls among thorns. And the seed grows up with the thorns, but the thorns choke out the word. In the explanation of this parable, Jesus says, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These are people who are receptive to the gospel. They're, recept they're receptive to the kingdom of God. They're receptive to what God is doing. And they actually begin to grow, but they never really get rid of the other priorities in their life. They, they really never change to the extent that it becomes the thing. See, Jesus doesn't say uh, it's not a good idea to serve two masters. It could end up biting you in the long run. He says you can't. You cannot serve two masters. You will end up loving one and hating the other. Either the thorns will win or the crop will win, but they cannot coexist together. I when we were in Oklahoma City a couple weeks ago, I called our yard people. That do, we, have a, we have a house that we have renters in, and so I called the people that were taking care of the yard because I noticed the entire yard was just weeds. There was no grass. It was just different colors of weeds in our yard. And I was like, why are we paying these people if this is what our yard looks like? So I call them, and I say, hey, I just drove by our house, and look, the yard looks really like it's died out and there's weeds everywhere. And in like a really polite way, the lady said, hey, our job is just to mow what's there, okay? Your job is to figure out what's there. 
we just mow what we see. <laughs> I thought, okay, <laughs> maybe I need to change. I didn't realize that was just your, <laughs> your job is just to show up and mow the weeds. But it was such, it was such an important spiritual lesson because like that's so many of us what we expect God to do is, okay, you haven't cultivated it, you haven't gotten rid of the weeds, you haven't gotten rid of the thorns, but you want it all manicured and looking nice. Well, it may be manicured, but it's not looking nice. You may be looking great on the outside, you may be keeping up appearances, but inside you have never really been transformed. The good and wonderful growth, the fruit that we read about in the fruits of the Spirit is not being produced in your life. And the reason for that is because when you hear God's word, you evaluate it and let it compete with all of the other things that you hear. The deceitfulness of riches, keeping up appearances in front of other people, the desires and passions that we have that may be tangentially related to what God wants for us. God's word, the seed that comes in, is meant to be the only seed in the garden. And until you till the garden, until you get rid of everything else, don't be surprised that you have faith, but you're not bearing much fruit. The fruit is constantly choked out by the thorns. Again, Jesus is probably speaking to certain groups in his day, whether it be the Pharisees and the scribes, whether it be those who followed him and they really just wanted a free meal after he did the big multiplication. You remember in John 6, he gives like 5,000 people lunch, and then he has this huge crowd following him. And they ask him, they say, when are you going to do another miracle? When are you going to give us another free meal? You know, we love the teaching, but the food is even better. And Jesus says, you don't really want me. You just want what you can get from me. And this group, they never end up bearing the fruit that God has designed for their life because they never let the word of God be the only love and desire of their life. So then there's the fourth group. And isn't it interesting that of this group, I don't think these are like percentages. I don't think only a quarter of the people, but isn't it interesting that there are three ways to hear incorrectly and one way to hear correctly? Jesus says there, the last seed falls among the good soil and it produces grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. In the explanation of the parable, he, he actually doesn't get to this point uh, as explicitly as he does in the first one because, again, let's not overcomplicate it. This is the easy part. Those who hear and understand, those who put it into practice, those who wrap their life around what God is doing in the kingdom bear a bumper crop. See, in the ancient world, what you would expect on this is eight to tenfold. A good yield would be eight to tenfold what you sowed. And Jesus, I think sometimes we get wrapped up in this like, well, what would separate the 100 and the 60 and the 30? Because I really want to be 100. I don't just want to be 30. 30 was unbelievable. I mean, Jesus is like straining credulity here. It's triple what a great crop would be, and then double that, and then almost double that again. A hundredfold would have been insane, unheard of, bearing fruit in your life. And the point is this. If you take the word and you are good soil, if you are careful in the way that you hear God is going to bring about a crop that there is no explanation for other than he is the one who's bearing the fruit in your life. It's interesting in Luke chapter 8, which is where Luke relates this parable, he says, he records that Jesus says, take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. 
And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This is the message of this parable. If you want to grow, if you want to produce fruit, start small. Just start by obeying. Just start by believing. Just start by trusting. And Mark says, through much patience, fruit will be born. Faithfulness begets faithfulness. The one who hears a little bit and it gets choked out ends up with no fruit. But the one who hears the word and obeys it and does it and molds their life around it, he will bear a crop. She will bear a crop of a hundredfold. So as Paul comes back up, I'll end with this. The parables are not just masterful stories. The parables are mirrors for us. And so the question for us as we reflect on this is, what, what kind of hearing are you doing? What kind of soil are you? The, the mirror of the parable is, if Jesus holds this up and says, in your heart, where are you? Are you bearing fruit? Are you in a place where you're frustrated because you're not bearing fruit? Are you in a place where you're not even interested in bearing fruit? Are you in a place where you want to, you're working on it, you're trying as hard as you can, but every time you turn around, you're stifled because of the competing interests in your life? Jesus' word to all of us this morning is, consider the sower who is sowing seed across the world. Consider your life, hearing what God has for you, listening to the word in your life, and consider what effect it's having. Are you allowing other things to come in and choke it out? Are you in a place where you hear it, but it, you don't do it, you don't think about it, or are you one of those people that they hear it and they say, I've got to put that into practice. I've got to work on that. I've got to talk to God about that later. I've got to get somebody else to help me with this. I've, I've got to take this thing that God's put on my heart, and I've got to expand it, and I've got to see it bear fruit for the kingdom. I've got to be about my Father's business in the world. I've got to be about what He's designed me to fulfill. I've got to be a part of His kingdom Jesus says, then you will bear fruit. So how do you hear? What kind of soil are you this morning? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we, though we have been many types of these soils, we know that we can be good soil, that the seed actually has all the fruit inside of it. It's not us. It's not just our gifts. It's not just being lucky. It's not just being talented. It's being obedient. And that, Father, you will bear the fruit in our life. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would increase the fruit of our church. That we would be people who are bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. That we would be a people who are known by the way we love one another. Father, I pray that this morning you would help us to have an accurate look at where we are with you. Where our hearts are. Father, I pray that you would give us a sense that you would give us uh, in our consciences with your spirit a revelation of where we are with you, what it would take to take another step forward with you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you that the kingdom of God is an extension of your great love for us on the cross. So, Father, it's in his name we pray. Amen.